is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 544, recorded on Monday, September the 6th, 2021. Welcome to the program, one and all. Uh, you as well, Jason, and happy Labor Day. It's Labor Day today. It's the Labor Day. It's the day of labor, so long weekend for most. Uh, I hope everyone got out and, I don't know, celebrated labor and got to enjoy it in some way. I walked around a park right next to a nuclear power plant. It was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Were the trees extra large and the dogs have oh. three eyes and stuff like that? No, there was lots of trees and uh, people playing cricket and a hill and some benches and all good fun. Oh, good. Sounds like a perfectly acceptable and normal walk around a nuclear power plant. Yeah, it was near the plant. It was, you know, it wasn't around the plant. It's just, it's okay. next to the plant. All right. Well, that's nice. Uh, we just got home from a, a weekend up north at a cottage. It was quite nice. nice. The weather was not amazing, but it was pretty good. Good enough to take some boat rides, do some swimming, drink some beers. And that's really all I need. Well, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, bad weather for that kind of thing. No, that's a good point. It's a very good point. <laughs> so that's what we did. Hope you guys all out there had a good Labor Day weekend, if indeed you, you know, get that off. And if not, hopefully you have some time off in the future soon. Uh, all right. We are here, of course, to talk about season 11, episode three of The Walking Dead. But first, Jason, we have to talk about something else. This is an unscheduled topic, but it came up or it came to my attention last week as I was posting last week's podcast. Or okay. not last week's, Thursday's feedback podcast. And normally what I do is I publish the podcast, then I go over to our Facebook page and I slap the link into Facebook and post it there too. So it's, people can see it, it's a little bit visible, link back to the website if they want, or at the very least just know it's out so they can refresh their podcast catching app or whatever they want to do. Well, didn't I land on our Facebook page last week and there's a big banner up at the top that says, your page has been unpublished. Really? And I'm like, huh. That's annoying. And if you go on to read the rest of this big banner, it says, this is because the Talking Dead podcast goes against our community standards. And okay. there is a button for more information, which links you to the community standards and amongst other things, a big long document that has all of this information, apparently. And at first there was a button there that said, you know, click here to disagree with this. So I clicked it. And yeah. nothing happens, no notification, no message. It's just sort of like a noted, you disagree with this. So now the banner says, your page has been unpublished. This is because the Talking Dead podcast goes against our community standards. You or another admin disagree with this decision. It's exactly well, what the go. banner says. Awesome. But the page isn't republished. I can't republish it. I can't post anything to it. And regardless, and well, obviously no one can find it. No one can see it. So we have been removed from Facebook with no explanation, so with no recourse, with no ability to do anything other than click that I disagree button. There is no way to contact anyone. There is no way to do anything about it. It's simply too bad, so sad, go away. So... Okay, so do click for more information is just a link to their community standards 
list. Right. Right. So there's no indicator as to how we have violated the community standards nope. in any way. Nope. It doesn't give you any information and there's no link to any, you know, contact us for more information or for arbitrary or arbitrage or whatever the fuck that is. Nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. Okay. Uh, so first of all, on one hand, this is incredibly fucked up because Facebook is a fucked up platform that has no real bearing on reality anymore, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and second of all, is Facebook still a thing? Well, I, I take your point. It's fair. Yeah. I mean, is Facebook still a thing? It is. Uh, it's definitely still a thing. We've focused on that because it is where we have most of uh, our engagement with people. I stopped using Twitter a long time ago because the Twitter firehose is just too difficult to overcome, right? When when you have AMC's Talking Dead show, they just monopolize that. And our little podcast here can't compete with that. So I kind of gave up on Twitter a bit, even though I still have the Talking Dead handle on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is where all our, our people were, all our followers, 100 you know, hundreds of thousands of people like our page, which is great. Um, but yeah, so Facebook is a thing and it, it was our sort of social media platform of choice, but it's been yanked away for no reason. And, and I'm not like, it pisses me off because mostly because it seems so arbitrary and it's just gone and there's nothing you can do about it. It, it sucks that it's gone for sure. And I don't know if we'll be able to get it back, but uh, it's it's mostly just just shitty, <laughs> you know. And Facebook so, is shitty. Put it that way. Well, Facebook is shitty, and my gut feeling. So this is what I, how I figured this happened, is that uh, you know policing the community standards is something that Facebook probably farms out to third party organizations, where uh, you know they hire these companies to say, okay, go and look at uh, various pages, and uh, you know compare them to the community standards and see if any of, the, any of them were violating the community standards. And then this company goes, well, we have to prove our worth to Facebook. Mm -hmm. So we need to have uh, a soft quota. They probably don't call it a quota, but they probably have, uh, you know, some kind of pressure on each individual person that's reviewing a page needs to, uh, in order to prove their worth to the company that's proven their worth to Facebook has to violate a certain number of web pages per day. Yeah. And so they go in and because there is no recourse, they probably uh, aren't even looking at anything except numbers. You know, violated, 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 violated. You have to probably put in a, a blurb like, uh, you know, there was a swear word that, uh, or some kind of uh, comment that could have been uh, racially motivated. And nobody's going to police that. Nobody's going to look at that. Nobody, no administrator in this company is going to look at it. Facebook's definitely not going to fucking look at it. Uh, and they probably, that disagree button just probably puts a, a flag on the, uh, in their documentation or in their system saying that somebody has disagreed with this. And, you know, someday down the line, somebody may go through a list of all the pages where the admins have disagreed with that violation uh, notice. And the, Chances of somebody giving a shit about that are zero. Yeah, and if it even happens, I'd be surprised if that even is a thing, to be honest. Even a, with a company as big as Facebook, right? How many yeah. pages are they disabling every day? 
I don't know. The, but. You know, violating the community standards, that could have been some schmuck in wherever the fuck, uh, going through a list of pages, going, uh, Talking Dead, uh, the podcast about The Walking Dead. I hate that show. Violated. Yeah. You know, done. Yeah. So, I mean, along those lines, I, I texted Jason Cabassi over at The Walking Dead cast uh, because he had his, he had some pages removed as well, too. You know, he runs Podcastica. He had their page taken down and maybe, maybe more than one. I forget now. And he had the same experience, no recourse. This was a couple months ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, and when he responded to me, he said, oh my God, you know, it's, I wonder if in your case, it's because of the name confusion, right? They think we're violating yeah. someone else's copyright or something like that. And so he was never able to get his page back and eventually he just gave up. So I don't have any, uh, I don't have high hopes that, that this is coming back anytime soon, if ever. Yeah. My gut feeling is that Facebook is a dead platform and we should move on to something else anyway. Well, maybe I should try to relaunch the Twitter account. I don't know. So. Ah, uh, Twitter's dead too. Like what's, what's new? Should we have a TikTok? Is there pages on TikTok? Is that, is that a thing? I don't really know. I've never signed up for TikTok. I mean, there's Instagram. That seems pretty popular, but that's owned by Facebook. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I Two more things I want to say. Number one is, um, well, I guess number one is if, if anybody out there listening can help, you know, you work for Facebook or you know somebody who works for Facebook or whatever, or you have any experience with this or insight into what we might do, please reach out. I mean, it couldn't hurt. I, I would like to at least go down the road a little bit of trying to get a reason, uh, but I just don't feel like I can do that by myself. So if, the, if there is anyone out there that has any sort of connection or ability uh, to, to do that, um, let me know talkingdeadpodcast.gmail.com send an email and uh, we'll see what we can do yeah. and if if there's nothing we can do then there's nothing we can do and it sucks and i think i'm done with facebook after that i've been so done with facebook for such a long time that it's not even funny like around my wedding and i've been married yeah. for what 12 years now something, something like something that. like it was i think the last time i posted was sometime around my wedding well, that's fair enough. I mean, personally, I don't use it at all. Like I still browse it sometimes and, uh, things like that, but I haven't, I rarely post anything on there, but I used it for the podcast. You know, there's a lot of followers that we have on there for this very show and I was just going to see it through, but now I can't. So I would like yeah. to get it back. I'll use it for the next year and a half or whatever until Walking Dead is done and then probably move on once and for all. I mean, it's all about the numbers, right? It's a numbers game. It's it's proving uh, something to uh, somebody in power that look, we violated so many pages uh, for uh, you know the community standards. Just in those, that number looks good to them for some reason, mm -hmm. right? And it's not about the individual pages. It's not about why and, you know, adding in a functionality to make it easy for someone to contest this and then go into arbitration and then have something reviewed. And if it is, ha does have to do with their name, they have to, you know, there's a whole conversation about, fuck, we were here first, you know, this, these yep. goddamn talking dead people showed up after we had this name for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, that's easily provable, but, you know, make it somebody care 
yeah. is one thing. Two, having Facebook spend the money in order to build in a system where somebody has the opportunity to research and care about something. I don't think so. Well, sure. But that pisses me off even more because Facebook has unlimited money, as we all know. You know, they're, they're, not, a, they're not a company that's hurting for cash. They could do this if they wanted to. Yeah, they could. But they then how, how does that buy boats? And, you know, how does that put jet fuel in your private planes? Yeah, exactly. No, that, that doesn't do that. The, the one other thing I want to say before we move on from this is that the other thought that crossed my mind is that Facebook not uh, kind of recently launched the ability to officially add a podcast to the platform. You couldn't do that before. Basically, you could create a page for a business or not, and you could call it a podcast, but it was just a Facebook page to promote or you know communicate with your listeners as a podcast well they recently officially added the ability to add a podcast and they've been bothering me to do that right because the word podcast is in the title and they probably you know some algorithm detects that and 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 they want me to do it and so i looked into it thinking well it's a good idea um but before i clicked the button to turn our page into a podcast on facebook i read the uh terms and conditions they were so severe and extreme and took so much power for themselves and left us or me with so little in terms of using our content and promoting it in other ways. I said, no, thanks. I'm not going to yeah. do that. I'm not going to let you uh, use our content in the way that's described in this document. So fuck it. I'm not turning our page into a podcast. And they've you know, I've got automated emails a few times and I just keep ignoring them. And I couldn't help but think, you know, certain time goes by, you don't officially launch as a podcast on Facebook and, uh, you know, you come up in the system and be like, these guys aren't playing ball. So uh, it could be goodbye. Yeah. Um, I don't know how realistic that is, but who knows? It, it seems like it, I don't know. It seems like a thing maybe. Fuck them. The only way to, to uh, hurt Facebook is to not be on their platform and not give them any way to monetize your information. So yeah. fuck them. Yeah, I think it might be, uh, that might be the only real recourse we can take. Anyways, again, as I said, if you are out there and you have any connection to Facebook, let me know. I might want to look into it a little further. And otherwise, uh, you know, let us know if you'd rather I start you know, relaunching the Twitter account and posting our episodes there, which to be fair, maybe I should have been doing all along, but again, I just felt like it was getting lost. Uh, or if there's some other, something else you want us to do, I'm, I am curious to hear about, uh, what everyone might think. So, well, here's the, here's the other thing you could do is launch, uh, 25 or 30 fake podcasts, no episodes, just podcast information, or did you have to have a feed? Oh, you probably have to have a feed, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, we can po we can do stuff. We can spend a day doing that, you know, 15-second podcast. Hey, welcome to the I Ate Four Frogs Today podcast, and uh, away mm. you go, right? You post it 15 seconds, launch a page, uh, just fill their friggin' fill Facebook with bullshit, like as, it is, as if it's not there already. But just right. uh, put in fake information, make their algorithms work for a living. Hey, why not? Sounds like a good plan. <laughs> That's the only way to beat them. It really is. And even then, who knows? All right. Well, you know, thank you for listening to this, everybody. And, and obviously, this is the best place to find what we're doing. Subscribe to the podcast. Go to our website to do that. 
talkingdeadpodcast.com. You will always get new episodes that way. If you're looking for us on Facebook, unfortunately for now, you're not going to find us. Uh, and if that's how you were sort of finding episodes, um, geez, I don't know. Hope, hopefully you can, can figure out what to do because it would really be crappy if too many of you are lost or confused because of this. And uh, let me know how I can help. All right, Jason, enough of that. Let's get into our discussion of Season 11, Episode 3 of The Walking Dead. Hey, you're watching Hunter? No, it's Hunted. Oh. Well, you want to watch Hunter? I got the whole DVD set. Yeah, no. All right, well, thank you, Justine and her spousal unit in NorCal, as she called him, for that title read. <laughs> yeah, DVD set. That's funny. Yeah, of Hunter. <laughs> no, it's Hunted. No, Hunter's fine, but DVDs are funny. Oh, yeah. A little, <laughs> uh, little antiquated these days. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to play a, a, a DVD. Well, they have these things called DVD players, Jason. You put the disc in, press play. Yes, they do. I don't. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the thing. If I had a DVD in my hand, I'm not sure I could figure out a way to play it without buying something. Right. That's no good. Like the show on iTunes. Well, there you go. And luckily <laughs> you have done that for The Walking Dead and yep. you have seen episode three, Hunted. That's the theory. So, well, we'll find out. It begins in the immediate aftermath of this ambush by the reapers uh it opens with maggie in a really well slash strangely lit shot of her her face is very bright yeah she probably can't see anything because that light light in her eyes i was worried about you know her night vision yeah it's probably really suffering a lot uh but she it's basically chaos in the woods there's arrows and there's knives flying around cole maggie's person has his throat slit so he seems pretty dead duncan takes multiple knives in the back Negan gets an arrow in his leg. Father Wound takes a wound in the... Or father Wound. Father Gabe. Father, father Gabe, yeah. <laughs> takes a wound in the side of his neck. Um, Daryl seems to escape with Dog. And then, like, this is all happening all at once, right? Like, it's just total chaos. Maggie gets pulled down by some kind of rope weapon, which was, I thought, kind of cool. But then Elijah cuts her free, but then is is yanked back by his neck by some other sort of like lasso rope weapon or something like that. And as things settle down a little bit, Maggie picks up one of the Reaper's weapons. It's this like, I don't know, big chopping Sickle thing. thing? Yeah, sickle thing. I don't know. She throws it, just misses a Reaper, but it sticks in a tree instead and then as he looks away, or she looks away, I guess, the Reaper, Maggie disappears into the night, and we go to the opening credits. So I'm starting to wonder at this point whether or not Maggie's a cyborg, because she picked up this weapon that uh, she's never held before, apparently, and knows it well enough to be able to throw it perfectly and have the blade stick in the point where it should have hit the person if she, if they hadn't ducked out of her way or she missed her mark a little bit. But, uh, you know, being able to immediately know how to throw uh, a weapon you've never held before, is not an easy thing. Do you think so? Like, I mean, I could pick up a knife and throw it. Not well, to be fair, but I could Would you be able to stick it. it into a tree blade first? I mean, you could- I mean, you could pick up a toaster and throw that too, but it's, you know, making it into an effective weapon is, is another thing. To be fair, that's, that's true. But like, you know, those weeding tools you have 
uh, it's it's like a handle and a long skinny thing with sort of two prongs on the end, and you use it to stick yeah. into the ground and dig out the root of a weed. Uh huh. I mean, I use that once in a while, and like not a day goes by where I don't throw it down and try to stick it into the ground. And most of the time, I can do it. Yeah, but what does that mean? Now, how much you've had practice? That's what that means. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right? Fair. You're picking up something that is brand new to you and being able to wield it, wield it the way and with the mastery that Maggie wields it. Is a, is a little weird. It's like she downloaded the software to be able to manage that weapon in real time. Well, I chalk it up to luck. I mean, she just picked up the first weapon she could find and whipped it in the direction of her enemy. And it hit a tree and it was sort of lucky that it stuck in the tree. I mean, that kind of thing happens. That, that's true. And, you know, to be fair, any video game that I've ever played where luck is an attribute, mm-hmm. I max it out as much as I can. I don't know what it does in the game because it never describes exactly how it factors in, but uh, it can't hurt, right? Yeah. I'd rather be lucky than smart. <laughs> well, there you go. You might as well. You'll get by on luck more than smarts any day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. Pretty sure I know people in real life like that. Yep. So that's the whole cold open and Cole is dead. So first of Maggie's people dead before the opening credits. I was worried about Father Gabe there for a little while, too. Me, too. He looked like he took a pretty good swipe to the neck, but uh, we'll come back to him a little bit later. After the opening credits, we're in Alexandria. Magna is patrolling up on the wall. She aims her bow at some crows that are flying around, but then is startled by Carol and Kelly returning. Those were the weirdest sounding birds I've ever heard in my life. They... I don't know of any bird that sounds like that. No, really? Oh, I mean, they're crows, weren't they? They were crowing. They, are, they were either crows or uh, ravens or vultures or something, but it's it's like looking up at a bunch of birds and the birds are going, oh, oh, oh. It's like, okay, that's just, I mean, I understand the noises, but it's a little in- incongruous. Right? So are, are you saying that you were hearing zombies and looking at crows? No, I'm just, I'm saying that the... Uh, those birds sounded weird. Okay. You know, and, you know, birds are not supposed to sound like that. Do your bird noise again. Oh, because that's how a crow would sound. That's how I envision a crow if he could, if he had human vocal cords. It's funny. I like that. Or like when you hear goats scream. <laughs> oh, you know, that's Videos of goats screaming is fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah. Uh, look up the Bon Jovi <laughs> once, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, she's, Magda is there. She's kind of startled by Carol and Kelly returning and opening the gate. And I think the whole point of that was just to show she's in a bit of an agitated state. You know, she's easily startled, right? She's not feeling so good about everything. She comes down and she chats with Kelly about missing her shift on watch on the wall with her. And then she asks her if she wants to talk about it. And it's seemed pretty clear to me that if she was asking about whether she wanted to talk you know, about Connie still being missing because we, the audience, know she's out there somewhere, but the characters haven't seen her in some time. Right. Uh, Carol separates, goes on her own way. She watches Aaron and a group of men pull up a section of the wall. Of course, that's what they're working on. She goes to the pantry garage and Aaron comes to talk to her and she tells him that she's going back out to get the horses. And he's upset because she was supposed to help build the wall. And they kind of politely argue about fixing the wall versus tracking the missing horses and what's more important. It reminded me of the argument a couple episodes, or the discussion, I should say, a couple episodes ago about should we 
stay here and rebuild Alexandria or should we go out and look for food? Because if we don't have food, we're all going to starve. If we don't have walls, we're doesn't matter if we're starved because we're going to be infested with zombies. Yeah. No, I've had this conversation with my, my, my wife about a hundred times. It's like, well, I, you know, I thought I wanted to go for a walk or, you know, uh, go to the park or something like that. We should do that something with Jasper. It's like, well, if I don't go to the grocery store and get his food, we're not going to, we're all going to die and we won't get to go to the park or, you know, very vari- variations on a theme, right? She wants to do something, but uh, we need some kind of life maintenance uh, going on. So I've, right. I've had this conversation many times. Okay. Life maintenance. Well, this is, this is what it is. It's just, what, what do you have to do first? And that's what they're discussing. But Carol ultimately, you know, decides that she's going after the horses. Yeah. Or, you know, my wife comes to me and says the, uh, the wall to the West has fallen off the house. We need to put it back up. And I say, I can't, I have to go look for horses. I can't. I'm too hungry or I have to go look for horses. Yeah. I have to go look for a horse. Right. I'll be back soon. (laughs) Three hours max. You'll be able to figure it out. I'm sure. Of course. All right. We cut over to a scene of the kids playing cards and this is Judith, RJ, Herschel, and Gracie. And they sort of have a quick discussion about grownups always running off to do things and how they say that they'll, you know, they'll always come back and it's nothing to worry about and this and that. And Judith mentions that her mom always does come back. So Michonne, right? Michonne always yeah. comes back. Until she doesn't, but uh, yes. Until she doesn't, right. She hasn't come back yet, and uh, we don't know where she is. Yeah. That's also like conversations that I've had with my wife. I might as well get a t-shirt made that said, uh, if I said I'll do it, I'll do it. You don't have to remind me every six months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> You and the doing stuff every six or eight months. (laughs) So this conversation was interesting between these kids because it was a very much a, uh, you know, people that were alive pre-zombie apocalypse versus these kids that were born after the zombie apocalypse. And aren't those pre-apocalypse people silly? Yeah. Like they they worry that, uh, you know, the zombies are going to make me scared or something. It's just like, no, this is just normal. And they're the ones that are freaking out because they're zombies. Yeah. So it was, it was a very interesting uh, conversation. It is. I mean, these four kids were born after the zombie apocalypse, unlike the characters on World Beyond where they were born before it, but they weren't really aware of things. So it's a a little distinction there, but you're right. These four kids were born after and it's kind of like, this is just normal. This is, this is the way we live. Zombies are around. Sure. They're scary, but, uh, we don't know anything else. Yeah. It's like, try, it's like conversations with your kids, uh, about iPads. You know, that's right. They've always been there. They have, they've always been there. No, don't touch the TV. The TV's not like an iPad. You can't just, uh, you know, why not? (laughs) You know what? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why you can't touch the TV and make it do things, but that's the way it is, at least for the next year. So relax. (laughs) And who knows? Who knows? Maybe next year you'll be able to touch the TV. I mean, you can talk to it now, so why not touch it? We skipped touch and we went straight to talking. Well, not me, but I understand what you're saying. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I skipped touching the TV and now I talk to it sometimes. It doesn't talk back though, which is nice. Unlike that's, the kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zing. All right. We go back over to Maggie. She is now alone. It's daytime. She's approaching a place called Wellhaven Plaza, which is like a department store in a mall or something like that. So did Maggie just fuck off? Like she just like, we're under attack. 
screw you guys, I'm I'm leaving. She, like just, she just left. She, everyone just scattered. I think she just fled fled the scene. Right? They they ran away from the Reaper attack. I mean, what else are they gonna do? Well, I don't know. Regroup uh, something. Maybe they had a regroup regroup plan. Like uh, every office I've ever been in has a you know a fire exit plan. You know, everybody, if their fire alarm goes off, meet in this particular location. This is where our office is going to meet. You know, we should have a plan like that as a family, but I don't at the moment. Okay. Well, you get on that. Probably a bad idea, but maybe they had a plan, but it just seemed to me like we're under attack and Maggie just like bolts. Yeah. It kind of felt like that to me too. Um, I don't think they really had a plan or at least it wasn't stated to us, Um, but she, she bolts and- the sun has come up, so it's been a little bit of time, uh, but they are still hunting her. They're still after her because she tries a shipping door, like at the back shipping dock of this department store, and suddenly a knife flies at her from behind and sticks in the door. So yeah. someone's close enough to throw a knife. Well, that's my thinking here is uh, this was a bit odd. This uh, this slight sequence of events is, uh, you know, the, the effective range of a thrown weapon, like a knife, is, let's say, from a pitcher's mound to the catcher, so the home plate, 90 feet. Is that 90 feet? I don't know. I don't know. It's baseball. I don't know feet. So whatever that distance is, is probably the outside range of a thrown weapon. So this, whoever threw this knife is within 50 feet of her. He's right on top of her, right? And she doesn't know he's there, and he wastes throwing a knife at her that misses her by six feet uh, or three feet or even, a, you know, four feet, two feet, whatever, a couple of feet. Uh, you know, she doesn't know you're there. Sneak up with her uh, on her and stab her with that very knife. You know, it's probably yeah. going to be more effective. It's 60 feet, six inches. I just looked it up. Oh, well, fantastic. From, from the pitcher's mound to the home plate. So 60 feet, you're right. I mean, throwing a knife farther than that would be, you know, would be pretty tricky, I think. So that person is right and- behind her. Yeah, and that's not an easy throw. Like no. anybody, if any uh, throwing out the first pitch, whatever that I've seen on TV, uh, you know, that's not an, an easy throw. That's something you have to practice at doing to get a ball to go that distance if you're not used to it. I mean, I know I could do it, but I've watched a lot of videos of people failing hard at that, and they're funny. I'm sorry, people. They are funny. Yeah. So, uh, and then she has enough time to forget about this person essentially just go, just shrug it off and run to the next door and try that one yep. and and then go in and then close the door. She's all alone and everything's fine. She turns on her flashlight and she moves on with her life. That's exactly. Like, there's a guy within 50 feet of you. Like, holy shit. Freak out a little bit more. Maybe. I mean, that's exactly what happens. She gets inside and she goes, she starts heading down some stairs that are right inside the door with her flashlight on. Now I can sort of buy this because... As the person outside who's pursuing her, he doesn't know or she doesn't know what to expect on the other side of those doors. Like Maggie could have, you know, could be ready for that person to come through with some kind of weapon. And if you just bust through, it's putting yourself at risk. So it it may make sense to me that 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 person doesn't just immediately come flying through the door. They're going to be a little bit more cautious, which, which allows her to get away. Right. Down into the basement of the mall. Like this, this mall is like a large flat building. Yeah. And it's the first door she goes into. It's like six flights down. 
yeah, so fair. So she goes down, we can hear zombie noises around, and she goes through a door and then places these two bottles she finds on the push bar of the door. The idea is they'd make noise if they if someone opened that door and, and they fell off. So whoever's following her, she'd know when they got to that doorway. Pretty, um, pretty good idea. Not really, because that's a security door, right? She, the zombies would make noise, but a person would not because uh, the security door um, only opens, like if that's an emergency exit, right? It only opens with those push bars, push bars from one side. If they're on the other side of that door, they're not opening the door. She came on this she came through the door and closed How, it though? and put the bar, put the bottles on the push bar so that when the next person comes through it, the bottle would fall off and crash and make a noise. Well, I guess that's my problem then. Like, how does she get through those doors? Because that's an emergency exit door. There's a big red sign that says the alarm will sound if this door is opened, which means it's a one-way door. Okay, well, I didn't think of that, but uh, the idea is if someone comes through it, that's her warning system, the bottle's crashing. All right, well, best of luck. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, fine. it does work. There's a smashing sound a little bit later. So yeah, that's right. Work. So she moves through this dark open area of the mall into another dark stairwell. She starts going up now. So I guess she moved through the basement. She's going up the other end. Uh, she's attacked by a stealth zombie who just comes out of nowhere, but she deals with it. She fights it off. She pushes it through the railing. The railing just falls apart and the zombie falls, I guess, multiple stories down to the bottom. I'm, I'm worried about uh, the world in general, based on the amount of decay that happens in 10 years. Like if that, I've, I've been in buildings where the bars on the the railings for uh, stairwells are more than 10 years old. Uh, and yeah, they you, probably haven't been maintained uh, quite well in those 10 years. So be careful, are, man. Yeah, they are not in this advanced state of decay. So I'm worried. You wouldn't think they would rust that quickly or whatever to be that brittle. You're right. I don't know. So just everyone out there, be careful with railings and fences. It seems like they can just fall apart. Yeah, they uh, only rely on them in emergencies, right? If you have to, just in case. That's kind of what they're there for. You know, if you're about to fall off the stairs, grab the railing. But, you know, otherwise just continue walking up the stairs. <laughs> so she continues up. She lights a lighter. And we get a really scary shot of a Reaper hiding in the shadows behind her. But then one of the bottle f bottles falls, distracts him for a second. So Maggie's able to react to his attack and she pushes him through the railing and he falls down the stairs as well. <laughs> and then starts running up the stairs again. Right. We hear, we hear the pitter patter. Yeah. We hear footsteps coming up the stairs or maybe that's somebody else, a second, uh, a second reaper. So the bottle that breaks, did I miss something? Did she set up another bottle? She put two bottles on the double doors, like one on each door where she came yep. through. We didn't see her set up any others. No. And then she walks through the basement of this wide open space with an escalator that wasn't working. Yep. And then she went up like four or five flights of stairs in another stairwell. And then she hears the bottle break, the original bottle break. You know, maybe she was setting up bottles, you know, like, uh, along her pathway because it did seem like an awfully far distance to still hear that, that crash. There's a lot of bottles in an empty mall. Yeah. They don't well, even put stuff in bottles anymore, except well, wine. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe uh, there was a liquor store full of wine bottles. I don't know. <laughs> I, I questioned the same thing. Like, how, should, how, was she, how would she hear that? But uh, I think we're supposed to understand that 
you know, set up the bottle. It was her warning system. She heard it later and that saved her from that guy in the shadows. See, I assumed uh, that based on the fact that Negan shows up in a f- couple of minutes, that uh, that noise was Negan trying to save her. But how would he know? Like, he doesn't, she's in a stairwell. Like, he, he knows she's there? Yeah, I don't know. How does anybody know she's there? Right? Like, yeah. how, does the, uh, how does the Reaper know she's there? How does Negan know she's there? Uh, you know, how does anybody know where she is? Yeah. Nobody should know where she is. She went into a building and she could be anywhere and everybody seems to know exactly where she is. So that's fine. It is kind of strange. It's very weird. I mean, what's that Reaper doing there? You know, did he come in the other way? I don't know. Uh, all we know is they followed her and they've caught up with her basically and are terrorizing her in this mall. I guess it kind of reminds me of uh, low budget racing games. <laughs> or not really low budget, but just racing games where it doesn't matter how fast you go. If you are extremely slow in a racing game, you have cars around you. If you go really, really fast and you're very skilled at uh, that racing game, you have cars around you. Yep. And the reason is that the cars are tied to your car and it, they have an elastic band essentially between your car and their car. No matter how fast you go, whether it's slow or fast, you have those other cars around you to give you that sense of competition. Right. I'm thinking that Maggie has that elastic band with all the other characters and people around her where no matter where she goes, she has these mystical ties that are telling everybody exactly where she is, even if they don't know it. Like if they don't consciously know that Maggie is what they're tied to, they just kind of wander around. It's like, oh, look, it's Maggie. And then they wander around a little, little bit more and they get lost and there's a uh, there's an ambush and everybody scatters and everybody goes their own separate directions. They could go anywhere. Oh, look, there's Maggie. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Binding. It's 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 a bit silly. I, I on the other hand, I did find well everything in the episode so far with regards to Maggie and so on as pretty pretty intense. Like it's a creepy scene, you know, the the darkness, the guy hiding in the dark, and she lights the lighter and he's there. I mean, I know it's a bit of a jump scare, but I didn't really jump or was scared. I'm like, oh my god, that was you know out of nowhere and. The, op- the cold open in the forest was was shot really interesting with like little bits of slow motion and the weird lighting. And I thought it all added to the, just the feeling, the ambiance of it all kind of in a way. So yep. I get what you're saying. There's a lot of issues, um, but the sort of filmmaking wasn't one of them, if you know, if you know what I mean. Like it was, it was entertaining to watch and creepy for sure. And, right. and that, that went a long way for me, I must admit. Like, the show doesn't do this kind of thing too often, and I thought they did it pretty well here. Okay. But well, that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, it, it has happened to me. I moved from Sault Ste. Marie to Toronto, and then six months later, I'm walking down Young Street. And I'm like, hey, it's Alistair. Hey, Alistair, how are you? What are you doing? It's like, oh, I came down here to go to school and I'm uh, doing valet parking at this uh, at this hotel right here. Kind <laughs> he, of thing. And he's like, actually, I have an elastic band connected to you and wherever you go, I just kind of spring along to you. That'd be all right. I mean, I really, I've never seen, I haven't seen him since and it really kind of makes me sad because I liked Alistair and right. uh, I think that uh, we still would be really good friends if we had that elastic band. Okay, but. well. It's broken, my friend. The elastic band. Alistair, if you're listening, try and find me. We should go for a Guinness or something. I don't <laughs> even drink Guinness, but for you, I would drink Guinness. There you go. That's nice. Well, Maggie's got the character elastic band on right now. 
However, we take a commercial break, and when we come back, we are in the forest with Father Gabe. He's kind of just sitting there and recovering. Turns out he has a knife in his leg, which I don't As soon as I saw him sitting there, I'm like, oh, that thing's sticking out of your leg, isn't it, Father Gabe? It sure is. I don't think we saw that part in the cold open. I was much more worried about his neck, Uh, but that doesn't seem to be a big problem. He's got this knife in his leg. There's also this injured reaper who's dropped his mask and is hobbling away. So Father Gabe pulls out the knife, suffers what seems to be a great deal of pain doing so, and then gets gets up and follows the injured man. It's an ice pick? It's an ice pick. It wasn't like a knife knife because it was was like just this long straight thing. It was an ice pick. You're right. It was a straight pointy thing. So that makes it a little bit better, right? It does. I I would be, I'm not overly worried about the injury itself because going in, coming out, Probably there's bleeding and stuff and, you know, it's a really kind of a small injury compared to other stuff that goes on in this world. I'd be worried about the, uh, you know, what was on that ice pick before it went into my leg and introduced all kinds of weird fucking toxins. How many zombie brains have you stabbed before you stabbed my leg with this thing? Yeah, fair enough. That's my biggest concern. Yeah, there's no barb on the end of it or or sharp blade that's going to carve through your flesh or get stuck in there, right? It's just in and out, uh, but it. It's probably kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. And did we, did we see what he was sitting on? This will become relevant in a second. Uh, he was sitting on something low to the ground, right? I figured it was just a tree stump or a log or something. Yeah. It doesn't quite show what it was. Uh, so the reason I'm worried about this is when he stands up, he has his shotgun, but he also has a rifle slung on his back, uh-huh. right? Okay. And the rifle's barrel is point down. And so he's sitting on this log. Now that rifle barrel is full of mud and gunk and whatever, and it's completely unusable until he sits down and properly cleans it. Well, he's going to need to do that then, but not something I noticed. It was full of dirt. Yeah. You know, go to basic training. You learn that shit. Do not lean on your weapon. Do not put your barrel towards the ground Mm -hmm. and never, ever, ever put it down and walk away. Because if you need it and it's not within arm's reach... It might as well be on the moon. Yeah, fair enough. It's a good uh, good gun lesson to have, I guess. Yeah. Keep it with you. Keep it safe. Keep it clean. I think that uh, applies to a lot of things in life. Yeah, Father Gabe has failed. Guns, and guns as well, and Father Gabe has failed. Okay, Maggie. She's now in another open but dark area of the mall. There's some furniture around. There's creepy mannequins. A shelf falls over. She's sneaking around, and she finds Alden. So Alden has made his way in here too, uh, coincidentally. Maybe the elastic band is around Alden. I don't know. It's maybe well, it's not Maggie. It's maybe I don't know because they're immediately attacked by some reapers, and she's almost carved up by one, but manages to uh, get her foot up and kick him in the nuts pretty hard. Did you see that? A number of times. Yeah, yeah she uh, she did good. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you want to hurt a dude, that's one good way to do it, but it allows her also to grab a glass bottle, smash it, and deliver it to his face. So he's taking a glass bottle to the face, which is pretty painful as well. Uh, Negan shows up, so he's there as well, and he bashes him with a crowbar. They save Alden, but a Reaper drops a smoke bomb, and Negan has to dive Maggie to cover. And by dive Maggie to cover, I mean sort of like lunge at her, grab her, they fall to the floor and get away from the grenade. After she throws a knife and gets him right in the spinal cord. The uh, Reaper? 
Yeah, she Ooh. threw a knife at him and got him right in the spinal cord. I'm like, oh, that was the first thing I said was, oh, right in the spinal cord. Okay, well, good for her, but I uh, I didn't even notice where it hit him, but that's uh, going to take that dude out. Yeah, that would have hurt. It would have hurt for uh, sure. Well, I'm not sure. Okay. It you would have felt pressure and then all of a sudden your legs wouldn't work. Yeah, that's not good. So her and Negan get back up and they go to Alden and it turns out he has been cut really badly in the abdomen or, you know, the stomach area. There are two big, deep slices across. He's lost a lot of blood and he is in pretty rough shape. I yeah, think. right in the thorax. Really, really bad. Uh, Maggie, of course, wants to keep going, but Negan once again questions what the plan is here. You know, they've been attacked. Alden is half dead. Uh, and he says, this is a shit plan, Maggie. But she says there is no better plan right now. And he, and, you know, to be fair, Negan is speechless when she asks him if he has a better one. So he does not. So they pick up Alden and continue on their way. Yeah. If you, if you have a suggestion, I'm all ears. <laughs> I'm all ears, but otherwise we need these supplies. So we're going to keep going. We take a break and return to Rosita in the forest, picking some mushrooms. Uh, Carol, Magna, and Kelly find her and, you know, they're out to get the horses back. So... They all join forces, the four of them, and they find the horse, the horses in a clearing and they're trying to lasso them by sneaking up from all directions and getting the lasso around the horses, but it doesn't work and they all run off again. So I don't know anything about horses, like not other than they've exist and I saw one up close once. Well, uh -huh. I've seen more than one up close, but I saw one up close that wasn't being handled by a professional. I was walking through a horse barn and there was a horse in a stall. Uh, Scared the living bejesus out of me because they're big animals and I don't know anything about them. I don't know what I didn't, at the time I didn't know anything about their temperament, but here's my question. If you have a horse that has been tamed, right? That has been, you know, you used for whatever reason, it's not a wild horse, let's say. Uh, do you really have to go through this much trouble to recapture it? Or do you just go, Hey horse, I'm over here. Uh, would you like an apple or some sugar? I, I don't know. I mean, when you think about it, you can't always entice a dog to come to you, right? Like if a dog is lost or roaming free, it could be somebody's pet, but it may or may not trust you. You know what I mean? So you can't well, assume that a tame animal will trust you. Uh, you know, it may trust other humans, but not you. So horses are probably the same, I would imagine. So whose horse is this? Whose well, horses are they going after? They're, it's their horses, right? They, they are Alexandrian horses, yeah. But I mean, it, it's believable that it's not Carol's horse specifically, right? Or any of theirs. So why wouldn't the horse trainer or the horse person go after the horses rather than Carol? Maybe the horse person is dead. Maybe, you know, I don't know. I mean, but Carol's the one who decided the horses need to be corralled and went to do it. All right. Is a lasso the right thing to do? I don't think so. I mean, I, it wouldn't be for me because I couldn't throw a lasso around a, anything, <laughs> let alone a yeah. moving animal. Well, you know, I've often in the last five years thought that I should learn how to lasso uh, to be able to catch my child because he runs way faster than me. And the only worry I would have about that is I'd get, probably get the lasso around his neck mm -hmm. and then... And then I'd be brought up on charges. Right. And rightfully so. Of course. Because that would be, you know, hugely against the law and I should be charged for such violation. Yeah. But I've thought about it, right? Like, how am I going to catch him? Lasso. Or 
taser or something <laughs> else, like maybe just a leash. I don't know. But really, uh, the only real answer that I've come up with is yelling. Never let him out of the house. <laughs> and yelling doesn't work. So no. uh, I'm at a loss. Can, you know, reasoning? That doesn't work either. No. I don't know what to do. If anybody has any suggestions on how to get a, a toddler or a five-year-old to stop when they need to stop, I'm all ears. I mean, pan- screaming in panic could work. I don't know. But yeah, I, I see your point. Uh, anyways, doesn't work with these horses and they've run off. So they all, the women are chatting as they walk and Rosita tells Carol that she's been having dreams about Abraham. We haven't heard about him in a while. He's been directing. He is directing. She's seen him on set, but I guess not his character. Yeah. Hasn't seen his character in a while. And Rosita thinks that he's trying to tell her something that she's supposed to do, but she can't hear him in the dream. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, we don't really know what's going on here. We don't know why she's bringing this up now, really, if it's going to play into anything in the future. I have no idea. But it was nice to, you know, reference back to Abraham. He's he's a good dude, so he hasn't been around in a while. Yep. Uh, Magna is talking to Kelly about if a, well, and says if, she says if a horse lets you touch its ear, it trusts you. So just keep that in mind for later. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere near a horse that isn't properly professionally handled. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go near a horse in the, like a wild horse. No, that's a terrible idea, but I've been on horse farms and things Yes, and I've been in the field with horses that aren't in pens and that's been totally fine. Yeah. We went, uh, we went and got pumpkins. We went to a pumpkin farm a couple of years ago before all this fucking bullshit happened. And, uh, we were on a wagon with a bunch of horses or two horses. It was great. Yeah. Did you touch the horse's ear? No. Oh. Well, you could have if it trusted just, you. There was just horses. Okay. There was just <laughs> horses around. <laughs> yeah. They're professionally handled. That's fine. I was not afraid of the horses. Everything was fine. But, you know, a horse in the wild and I walked up to a horse, that horse could probably beat me up. So I would probably not go near the horse. There's sure. no reason for me to go near the horse. It's not like I'm going to put a saddle on it. No. That's just bad for the horse and I wouldn't know how to do it. No, I wouldn't know how to do it either. I'm just saying that I was in a, I was on a farm and in the horse like field and I was standing there and the horses were there too. And the handler wasn't there. These were like horses that were just, that were part of this farm. So I've been closer to horses than you have. Anyways, I wasn't afraid of them at the time either. Yeah. They're, They're big. I know some of them are big. Yeah. And they have hard hooves and they probably bite. Well, don't, Go behind them and you're a little safer. Or in front of them or on the side. You know, just give them, you know, good 20 feet of area. I mean, we were up touching them and stuff. So, you know, in your case, look at horses through binoculars. You'll be good. And yeah. I'm right up to them. Okay. See, a cow I don't have a problem with. A cow, you could walk right up to the cow and the cow would be fine. I don't right? know. If you probably, you know, if you wanted to kill a cow, you just, you don't have to do anything special. You just bring a hammer. Well. And the cow's like, hey, Jason, what's the hammer for? Oh. And then, and then you got yourself a cow. Well, right? weirdly, I'm more afraid of cows up close than horses. I don't know why. Anyways, this is neither here nor there. Um, we go back to Alden, Maggie, and Negan. They're outside now and they hear some screaming. So even though Negan protests, they go towards the screaming and they find Agatha one of Maggie's people. They help her kill a few zombies and 
during the killing, Negan leaves Alden behind a little bit, and he has to take out a zombie by himself. And in his state, he he barely manages to do this. So here's another kind of example of Negan leaving someone in trouble, uh, you know, to their own devices, like he left Maggie before. In this case, he just turns around and looks at Alden and is like, nope, you're killing a zombie and you're almost dead. Well, yeah. Uh, yes, Negan's an asshole, but he... Uh... Alden stabbed that zombie right in the teeth. He did. He got the knife through his teeth, and then he took it out and managed to get him in the head. But he well, he had to pull it out because the zombie was biting it. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to you know. That's an unfortunate thing. What was he? What was he aiming for there? I I think the head, but he missed because he's half dead, walking around with giant slashes through his stomach. All right. You know, I think he I just, just couldn't got... swing the arm well enough. At the well, moment. sideways seems like a, a weird way to stab a zombie. Like, stab it straight on. It's like high five. You ever, you know, you, when you learn how to high five someone, you lead elbow first, and that way you get the good hand connection, right? You don't go from the side because then you're both just aiming at the wind, right? You just you lead with the elbow first, and then you got something to aim for and to aim with. It's all good, right? It's the same thing with stabbing zombies. You go elbow first, stab it in the head. Don't stab it from the side because then you've got all kinds of depth issues you got to deal with. And every once in a while, you end up stabbing it in the teeth. Right, which he did, and it didn't work out. Luckily, he's okay for now. Yeah, that's your zombie killing tip of the day. Very good. Uh, so... Inside a broken down building that's there, Duncan is very injured, injured really badly. We know he got some uh, knives in the back in the forest. He's not dead yet, but he's not going to survive. So Maggie goes to him and apologizes for all of it, she says. And he says it's okay, but then she puts a knife in his head. So now Duncan is dead. We've lost two of Maggie's people so far in this episode. So she's apologizing for coordinating the ambush? She's and apologizing for the fact that he's about to die and whatever happened between them in the past, you know, decisions yeah. she's made that has have led up to this very moment. I think maybe she and these people know that the Reaper, like she's in charge of the Reapers and that she coordinated this ambush uh, and is sorry that he got caught in the middle. He, they didn't mean for, uh, you know, him to die, but he had to die in order to achieve her goal. So she's sorry that he had to be sacrificed on the altar of Maggie's ego. You know, as as fun as it is to think that Maggie was a Reaper, this episode went a long way to disprove that. I'm not saying she doesn't have her own agenda. I'm not saying she doesn't have something going on that may not be in alignment with everything that, you know, Alexandria wants to do and all those people. Yeah. But I don't think she's Reaper anymore. Okay. So I was actually going to bring this up, and I'm glad you brought it up, uh, that uh, I agree with you that she did some things in this episode which were definitively anti-Reaper. Like, she punched that guy in the balls like a number of times and then stabbed him in the face before she knew Negan was there. Yeah. Right? She did not, and she only knew that her and the Reaper were there. And she booted that, and was the, the booted that guy through the railing down the stairs was the first thing she did. Yep. Nobody else around. Right. So she genuinely did that. So... I agree with you that Maggie took a step in the direction away from uh, being in charge of the Reapers. So, uh, yeah. 
I'll concede that. That doesn't mean that there isn't something going on, right? That there isn't some plan she has that isn't quite on the up and up, but she took some steps away from having anything to do with the Reapers, at least being anything sympathetic with them. So, right. We take a commercial break and return to Carol and the gang. They're tracking the horses still. They come to a riverbed and there are a bunch of dead horses. In fact, many horrible <laughs> horse pieces kind of all eaten and severed along this riverbed. Um, yeah, that was uh, quite the horse graveyard that was there. It was a horse massacre. Uh, Kelly starts to break down a little bit. Magna comforts her. Carol wants to continue, but they say it's getting late and they should go back. And they pretty much all agree with this. And there's a little bit of tension. Um, and then Magna just approaches Carol, doesn't say a thing, and hugs her. And this gives pause to Carol. She cries a little bit. And then she says, okay, let's go home. And they continue on their way. So yep. um, two things. I think this episode is showing us a much softer side to Magna than we've ever seen. Uh, she's always been pretty tough as nails, kind of, not emotionless, but, you know, really hardened. But here we have her having conversations with people, wanting to talk about things, hugging people, you know, just a softer Magna all of a sudden, I, I think. Yeah, I agree. Which I found interesting. I mean, they're they're building out her character a little bit. She's been on the show for a while now and hasn't done too much, you know? She's sort of just been there, um, even in her relationship that, that we saw before, you know? She was kind of cold and not really all there emotionally, I didn't think anyways, and now all of a sudden she's opening up to people. So I like it. I think it's a good thing for Magna. It is good. And usually, uh, you know, hugging people is, is pretty good unless they're not really expecting it. Right. Well, fair. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I also question, you know, hugging Carol in a, a horse in the middle of a horse massacre location is mm. a bit questionable. Uh, but as far as fair warning goes, I mean, usually when I meet somebody, I give them warning. It's like, you know, fair warning, I'm a hugger. And okay. so just so that they know that there's a, there's a real chance that I will be giving them a hug. Uh, in short order. Sometime soon. Well, I mean, in this case, Magna can, can tell that Carol is struggling, right? And she has been for a long time and she just wants to comfort her and sort of say, look, we're not, we're on your side here, but we have to make smart decisions. And the smart decision at this point is to head home and maybe continue the search for the horses tomorrow. Right. Uh, so they're on their way home. They come across the rest of the horses just by chance. It seems like the horses are galloping majestically through a clearing <laughs> conveniently. And Rosita realizes that they are heading toward the dairy farm where they have a horse pen or whatever they call it. And they a paddock. can a paddock, right? And they can uh, get them corralled into there, which should make their job a lot easier. So very convenient that the horses are heading towards this dairy farm. It is very convenient, convenient. And the only reason I know that this is called a paddock is, and that they use the word is that uh, the band, a band I was in for a while was the house band at a, at a bar called the paddock oh. for, uh, for a couple of months. All right. Well, there you go. And I had to, I had to learn what that word meant. What the fuck is a paddock? I was like, <laughs> oh, it's a place you keep animals. Okay. Well, there you go. Gotcha. Good to know. Uh, so that's where they're on their way. We cut to the horses already kind of corralled into the paddock. And the, the ladies are all in there. They still can't lasso them, but Kelly says that they should drop the lassos 
And then Carol approaches one slowly and gently, gets up to the horse, touches its ears so you know they trust each other, and then everyone's friends with the horses again, and it's all good. So yep. they didn't have to lasso them. They just had to talk to them you know, calmly and approach them slowly. That's right. Yeah, you don't have to approach every uh, everything with a weapon. Or with aggression, right? Or with aggression. You can, you know, approach people with hugs. That's right, and it sometimes works. All right, back with Father Gabe. He's caught up to this injured reaper who is sitting on the ground. He's bleeding out. He's repeating that, uh, you know, I walk through the shadow of the Valley of Death or whatever it is to himself. Uh, he thinks he's going to die. And he asks Father Gabe to pray for him. And he says, even your enemies deserve that, don't they, Father? He asks Gabe if he's a man of God. And Father Gabe says, God isn't here anymore and kills him. So has Father Gabe Gabe committed murder before? Oh, he's killed people before, 100%. Like live people? I think so. Yeah, I mean. I don't recall. I feel like he must have. But this one was notable because he says God isn't here anymore. Like, is he saying I'm kind of not really a man of God anymore and I'm not going to worry about acting, you know, in in a godly way? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe he's just, he, he's just trying to be uh, mean and tough, right? Yeah. So it's just a thing to say before you murder somebody to... I'm not really sure. I can tell you, though, that this is probably the best Father Gabe scene that I've recall. Like, I've never loved Father Gabe more than I did in this scene. I loved it. Why is that? Is that because you felt like the re- the re- Reaper deserved it and this is what he should have done? Or is it just uh, is it just Father Gabe in the moment, like the acting or something like that? Father Gabe uh, being a badass in the moment. He got stabbed in the neck. He had pulled an ice pick out of his leg. Mm-hmm. He's hobbling along. He finds some poor guy. Yes, he's the enemy. Uh, you know, with an arrow in his gut, lying there and dying and saying, uh, you know, you're a man at the cloth. Can you pray for me? Uh, and he says, basically, fuck you, and then murders him. Like, that's just badassery at a high level. Yeah, or is it mercy? Like, is he putting that guy out of his mercy? Like, I can see, you can sort of come at this from a lot of different angles, I think. No, if it was mercy, he would probably sit down and talk to him and say, you know, let's pray or tell me your sins or do you ask for absolution, whatever, and then stab him in the head in order to take him out of his misery. But saying God's not here and then full on fucking stabbing him in the head without any other real conversation, uh, is not mercy. I it's, don't know. It's, I, I hate you and God's a, he's just not here anymore and it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I would tend to agree with that statement other than maybe, you know, getting it over with quicker is a form of mercy rather than sitting down with him and letting him suffer more because he's going to die anyways. But you're right. The, the, because he delivers that line, it's more, yeah. um, you know, whatever than, than mercy, I think. And it also kind of gives me a glimpse into Father Gabe's personality. Father Gabe, when he's alone, is very different than Father Gabe when he's around other people. It's an interesting and observation, we, yeah. And we know that from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole thing of Father Gabe entering the Walking Dead was him holed up in the church, uh, 
that he prevented other living people from getting into so he wouldn't have to give up his supplies. I forget that if that was just in the comic book or whether it was in the TV show as well. But Father Gabe's introduction into the Walking Dead universe is through this, basically this scared, alone man doing fucked up shit that isn't really clergy worthy. Right. And when he's around other people, he, you know, he preaches absolution and forgiveness and uh, community and all the things he should do. But then you get him by himself again. He's like, fucking God's dead and stabs this guy in the head. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he was introduced, he was introduced that way where he locked his congregation out, right? Because he was so afraid. He was a coward. But this season, I mean, he was in the train car and he agreed with Maggie about letting Gage, you know, not through the door, not, not rescuing Gage and that he was in a group then too. Um, and then he said, Gage died a coward or whatever. Right. So he was pretty harsh with him. He didn't have the God isn't here anymore line, but uh, father Gabe might be turning a little bit, changing, becoming more, uh, just ruthless. You know, I don't know. He's turning to the dark side. He's turning to the dark side a little bit. Yeah. And it's cool. I like it. All I right. think it's great. I think Father Gabe's, uh, uh, you know, I've never really been on board with Father Gabe. I've never really uh, attached any kind of personal uh, engagement with his character until this moment. Now I'm all things Father Gabe. I think he's my favorite character right now. Okay. Well, we'll have to see where it goes, but it is, it is definitely interesting. Uh, we go back to Maggie and the group. They are watching some walkers with binoculars. They're back in the forest. Negan once again suggests that they rethink this plan. He claims he can help and that Maggie's friends trust him now. But, uh, you know, he says that you, Maggie, were gone a long time and people can change. But of course, she doesn't accept this. She thinks he's got them all fooled, right? Which is kind of interesting. She goes away for six years, comes back, and nothing has changed, you know, understandably. Um, Yet, in reality, a lot of things have changed. So, like, both of them are right here. You know what I mean? Negan's saying, some of your people trust me now. People can change, which is probably true. But for her, it's like it was six years ago, and nothing has changed. So, I think it's an interesting dynamic, because both of them are right. Yeah, and it's hard to predict. Like, uh, you know, as the esteemed Dr. Phil uh, always says... The, uh, the the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's not really esteemed. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> uh, he's not really a doctor either, so take that. <laughs> but uh, he did say that, and I do believe it, but people can change, but really, they can't. Well, that's what's going on here, you know? They sort of can, but they also sort of can't, so it's- But a- then again, I also wholeheartedly believe that consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded. Uh-huh. I really despise people that, or don't despise people. I don't despise anybody, but I don't personally think that uh, consistency is a virtue. Right. Every every situation deserves a unique perspective and a unique uh, actions in order to have it come out uh, in a favorable way for you. Everybody has their, and that just, you know, you put a whole bunch of people that all believe that in the same room, you got some fucked up chaos that's going to happen. Because 
really that's bad. That's why we have laws because, you know, people are not consistent, consistent. That's why you need laws in order mm-hmm. to at least, you know, have everybody agree that, yeah, this one thing is probably not the best idea to do every day. And if you keep doing it, we might go, we should probably put you in a room for a little while. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to treat this situation more or less the same way every time. <laughs> that's what the law says, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, generally speaking, right? Yeah, generally. There's, you know, you know, as with anything, individual people do some individual fucked up things. And that also proves true for law enforcement and uh, the judicial system. So. Well, I guess so. Take that. And that's why we have trials, right? Because there are a lot of factors in every situation and you have to factor them all in. So really nothing is consistent. <laughs> yeah. And then you put your, your, those people's lives in the hands of 12 peers in quotes. Right. That are chosen out of even, not even any real criteria. Just uh, yeah, you're probably okay. Is right. the only criteria for choosing a juror. And then they get to choose, you know, whether you're telling the truth or not, or whether you can be convicted or not. And man, they're probably super un- unpredictable as well. Yeah, I'm sure they are. All right. Well, the gang, uh, walks off through the forest. Alden and Maggie are walking. He asks if she's okay. Uh, and he asks if this is what she expected to come home to. And she says, you know, nothing surprises me anymore. And she says this funny line about Hilltop isn't the place that she told Herschel about. And I'm like, well, yeah, no, it's destroyed. It's not really a place at all anymore, which I just thought it was a funny line. Like, why put that in there? I mean, she knows Hilltop is gone. So, yes, it's not the place she told Herschel about, but it, it's not because it changed. It's because it's burnt down. Yeah, I mean, shit burns down. Doesn't matter. I guess. Uh, you know, home is where the heart it, is. It, to me, so it would have made more sense to say Alexandria's. Well, that doesn't even make any sense either because it was destroyed too, in a way. Like, she should have just said, you know, things aren't the way I told Herschel that they might be when we got here. It would have made more sense. Yeah, maybe it was uh, a new writer that didn't really watch the previous episode. <laughs> Something weird like that. Well, they continue on, and Alden suggests that. Sure, things are different, but Maggie will build it back up better than it was before. And they mention Adam in their conversation. And this is the child that Alden is actually raising. And if you remember, Adam was um, Earl and Tammy's kid who are both dead. So I had kind of forgot that he was doing that. So I had to remind myself. Good job. All right. So they're continuing on. Negan finds an extremely burned out zombie tied to a tree there's barely anything left but it can still move and still growl and a sign on the tree above it says judas so of course judas is this biblical character who betrayed jesus right so i guess the show is just trying to show us this is what happens when somebody betrays the reapers they tie you a tree and light you on fire i I'm hoping you can describe this to me. Like they really, really wanted you to know that this zombie was labeled Judas mm-hmm. because they showed the zombie and the sign together and it was plainly clear that there was a sign above this burnt out zombie that said Judas. And then they focused in on the zombie and then they panned up to Judas. Like they spent an awful lot of time uh, showing us yep. this Judas thing and it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So- well, I'm only, hoping you can explain it. The only thing that didn't make I mean, I'm working on a little bit of assumption here, right? So the, the zombie is Judas. Judas is the character that betrays Jesus. So anyone who betrays you, you know, you say is a Judas. I, I That's probably not the most appropriate thing anymore, but that's what it means, right? And 
So the only thing that's unclear to me in terms of the context of the show here is, is this the Reapers doing this or is it somebody else un, you know, disconnected to all of this, right? Is this just a random zombie tied to a tree in the forest that someone wants to know that person betrayed them so this is what happened to them, right? I, I got to yeah. think it must be Reapers, but I don't really know. Like, why would there be a Reaper Judas zombie tied to this random tree? I'm not sure. I don't know either. And the, and the whole Judas thing in the Bible also very confuses me because, uh, you know, God sent his only son down to earth in order to die for our sins, uh-huh. right? So, you know, the whole point of Jesus coming down was to preach the word of God and then get dead, essentially. Uh, so if that was the plan all along, then was Jesus, or sorry, was Judas... Uh, part of God's plan in order to have Jesus die on the cross? And if so, he wasn't betraying Jesus. He was following the will of God. So why does he get this bad rap for thousands of years? I don't quite understand. I mean, I can't I can't answer that question, but I did think of something while you were talking. What if, Jason? <laughs> That's the best time to think of things is when somebody else is talking. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you're right. What if Maggie was the leader of the Reapers, and somehow since betrayed them by leaving and coming to Alexandria. Therefore, she is the Judas. So she's the betrayer. She she betrayed them. All right. Um, And this is them trying to remind her of that and say, this is why we're after you. Look at at me coming up with crazy theories. That's usually your job. That is my job. I'm, I'm... Uh, I, I am a little shocked and dismayed that uh, that I didn't think of that. So uh, good for you. Okay. And and I mean that in uh, the I feel bad for myself uh, way as possible. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Uh, uh, I'm sure that's you... good, but that's not really a Judas thing, though, right? The betrayal is, uh, you know, he Judas. Here we go back to Bible study. Judas kissed Jesus to let them let the Roman soldiers know which person was Jesus, like as if that wasn't friggin' obvious. Uh, you okay. know, he, he, he's the one preaching to everybody. Uh-huh. So Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek in order to let the Roman soldiers know that that was Jesus and that's who they should capture and then crucify. You know, leaving a group of people saying, I'm, I'm leaving you, it's not the same thing. I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure if we can tie that to a Bible story or even Greek mythology in any way, because I'm not all that well-versed on either one of those. But it doesn't really strike me as a Judas thing. I'm not saying it's the same thing. I'm just saying the term in modern English means a betrayal. And so regardless of your, uh, the level of betrayal or your um, angle on it, like any betrayal, whoever is doing the betraying from your perspective could be the Judas. So I think... I Isn't think that it, more of a Benedict Arnold kind of thing, what? although I don't know about that either. I don't know about that either. I've heard that too, but I don't know. But anyways, I, I, who knows? I, the show hasn't explained it yet to us so far, and you know, I'm just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, it's spaghetti. Yeah. Right. It's what you throw at the wall to see if it sticks. If, it's, if it sticks, it's ready. Is that how that works? I think so. Yes, I think so. But in this case- Usually I just try a piece and see if it's done. You could also just eat it, right? So in this case- who knows? You can't eat it, so we're going to have to wait to find out. Yeah, because why would you throw food? Because, I mean, throwing food sounds like a lot of fun, but it's food. Like, why would, you know, it's still food. Yeah, and eventually you just have to clean it up, which is not the fun I, part. I don't care about that. You know, but you're 
you know, you're wasting food. Okay, also that, especially, yeah, in the zombie apocalypse when food is hard to come by, as we've learned over and over again. Yeah, and I don't think my walls are clean enough to eat off of. No, probably not. <laughs> okay, so after the Judas scene, the rest of the zombies start closing in because they're just in the forest around them. They have to fight them off. Negan and Agatha take out a bunch. Then Alden has to hobble along on his own. They're all fighting. And Agatha gets bit in the arm. And Maggie tries to save her, but it's too late. So Negan rushes in to pull Maggie out of the crowd before she's bitten too. And Agatha is consumed by the zombies. So now, Agatha is dead. Another one of Maggie's people. Oh, man. They are fallen like... One after the other here. We go to a break and we return. We are with the horse crew. They are returning to Alexandria with the horses, of course. The people are all happy to see them. They tie up a few of them. Carol keeps one horse with her. And as she's walking away, Magna runs over to ask her to stop giving Kelly false hope about Connie being alive. Uh, she says it's making it harder for Kelly to accept the fact that Connie's probably gone. And I appreciated this scene, but I also wasn't sure at what point uh, Carol was giving Kelly this false hope. Um, I mean, neither. I don't know if it was really there. I, it's fine. It doesn't have to necessarily be right up front and center on screen. Uh, but I wasn't thinking about it before before this scene. So it felt a little out of nowhere in a way, but... I mean, I can kind of let it go because it was sort of innocent in every other way, I would say. But that's the conversation they had. It strikes me as a quintessential line that is in reference to something that didn't make it into the show. It could be something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It it may come up again later, right? And, you know, Magna was the one early in the episode who went to Kelly and said, do you want to talk about it? Right? And... It didn't seem like Carol was involved at all because she was walking away at that point earlier on. So a little bit funny, I thought, here, unless we missed something. But, uh, yeah, is what it is at the time. Yeah, it's like that scene in Ghostbusters. You remember when, uh, uh, oh, Jesus, I'm going to forget everybody's names. He was uh, One of the writers, he was in uh, Blues Brothers. He's Canadian. So Dan so Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. There's a scene where Dan Aykroyd, there's like a montage scene and there's a scene where he's lying in bed and a uh, an invisible ghost has been, yep. uh, starts undoing his belt. I recall. That has nothing to do with anything. Like <laughs> nothing about anything to do with anything else in the movie whatsoever. Okay. Nothing. What year did Ghostbusters come out? 1984? 84, yeah. I was nine. All right. Uh, I may not have seen Ghostbusters the first year it came out. Let's say I was like maybe 11 or 12 when I saw it for the first sign, uh, time. Not going to lie, Jason, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> well, you know, so, getting a blowy from uh, <laughs> someone who you can't see, I, I'm you just, know, how could it be wrong? I'm just saying there was a reason that was in the movie. And I think that reason was nine-year-old or 11-year-old boys like me. But it had nothing to do with anything. I'm pretty sure, I think I read somewhere, uh, who am I kidding? I saw it on YouTube sometime ago that that whole, that scene had to do with a plot line that didn't make it into the movie. Interesting. But Dan Aykroyd insisted that it still stay in the movie. Uh, he probably thought it was funny. <laughs> he just, uh, maybe he wanted everybody to think that he could get a blowjob from a ghost. 
I guess so. Maybe you know, it's did. important to my ego that the world knows this. <laughs> Who knows? So Dan Aykroyd, you get it, you know. Keep you it in. Have to, you can just, just Dan Aykroyd being Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Well, on The Walking Dead, the next scene, Carol takes this horse into a barn. She lies it down, calms it down a little bit, proceeds to cut its throat and drain the horse's blood into a basin. Aaron comes in and he kind of helps her out, but he also looks incredibly disturbed by it all. And I'm not going to lie. I was with Aaron on this. I was questioning if we really needed to see this scene in the episode. Well, the next scene doesn't make any sense without it. That is very but, true. Uh, I was a little bit confused by this at first, because usually you don't just lie a horse down and then slit its throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, putting a horse out of its misery is one thing. Uh, so I guess what the confusion I had was, why would they bring a horse that was sick all the way back to Alexandria just to put it out of its misery? But then I, then the next scene went, oh, right, food. Yeah. Gotcha. So they were, they were slaughtering this horse to eat it, to cook it and eat it because they are desperate for food. And I get that. I just, I just didn't enjoy watching it. I just didn't like watching her kill this horse, even though it was for food. And I, I felt like, isn't there maybe a, a slightly softer way to portray what is going on here? I don't know. It's, I, I can sort of see both sides, but I don't it's know what you- gory. Chris. I know, but zombies are one thing. Killing horse gore. Humans are one are another thing. There was a lot of horse gore in this. And the other scene with the horse gore at the horse massacre, like they were already dead. And you're seeing the aftermath of something horrific. In this case, we had to watch the the something horrific. And I didn't I didn't like that as much as I usually do. I don't know. Was the point of that scene to show Carol's uh, how upset she was at the death of the horses in order to portray the need in this scene that she would, you know, be so upset at the death of a horse, uh, death of a bunch of horses before just to show that she's doing this uh, because of a community need, uh, even though it has a personal cost. I mean, you're saying the necessity of it, basically. Like, they, yeah. they have to do this, even though, yeah, it has, it's, it's horrific. I guess. Yeah. yeah I, I can see that. I mean, it doesn't mean I enjoyed it, but like- No. There's- Watching somebody kill a horse is almost as bad as killing a dog. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I, I take your point, right? There's a necessity here. They needed food. And the next scene, we're back with the kids inside one of the houses. They're playing again, and Judith brings a plate of horse meat for them to eat. Cooked horse meat. Um, Burnt horse meat, it looked like. It looked like horse jerky. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I have- I think we've talked about this before. I was in a restaurant once. Horse was on the menu. I did not order it. Uh, so I don't know what cooked horse meat looks like, but she brings a plate of it over. RJ declines. And then little Herschel suggests that they just take small bites and he tries some. They talk about being out on the road. Well, he he does mostly Herschel. It talks about being on the road, meeting people, and you just have to eat whatever you find. And then the scene ends with him mentioning that it's better than eating the spiders. So I guess him and Maggie had to eat spiders at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I had that conversation at dinner just the other night uh, oh, where we were talking about uh, the ingredients on uh, on food saying, uh, you know, 16% or 60% meat protein. It's like, why would they have to say meat protein? So you don't think that it's spider protein. 
right? It's <laughs> like 60% spiders. Oh, God. So we had this very conversation. Uh, but I wouldn't eat, we weren't eating horse at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, but I don't know. It seemed like they cooked the living shit out of this horse. And they probably could have uh, not burned it so much. and It would have had a little more nutritional value. Okay. If you're going to sacrifice a horse, uh, you know, don't, don't do this. All right. Don't cook, cook it. Cook don't it cook right. it so bad that you don't get, you don't know what it can be. And it doesn't taste like anything except for friggin' ashes. Right. Uh, and they probably don't even have like a whole mess of ketchup because this kind of thing would probably go better with a whole lot of ketchup or at least some mustard. But who knows if they have uh, condiments. Who really knows? I don't know. And what do you put on a horse? Is it relish? <laughs> well, I mean, everyone knows you put mustard on a hot dog. Is I'm not sure. radish? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it must be. It must be. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, you must be. What are you, uh, yeah, mustard on a hot dog. That's, that's all you need. That's all you need. That's, I, uh, I vehemently argue that with that with people in my family who tend to put other things on hot dogs, but the only uh, other story. thing that is possibly accept, acceptable on a hot dog for me is corn relish. I like some corn relish yeah. on a, on a hot dog. That's the only time you would ever use corn relish. Uh, and it's only sometimes if you happen to have it in the fridge or right. if Fair. you're buying a hot dog from a goddamn cart on the road, which, uh, it's been an awful long time since that happened for me. But yeah, eat a little bit of mustard, a little bit of corn relish. That's get yourself a hot dog. I I would agree with that. What I don't understand is ketchup. I you don't put ketchup on a hot dog. It's just not a thing. I don't understand it. But there are people who argue the other side of that with me, and uh, so they're wrong, and I'm right. I, ketchup on a hot dog is fine. I wouldn't do it, but uh, you know, Jasper puts ketchup on everything. Right. Sure. Well, Fries, ketchup, chicken, ketchup. It doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Well, he's like a lot of kids, I guess. So we go outside. Rosita is there. She's showing the horses to Coco, which is cute. Haven't seen the baby in a while. And she just witnesses Carol washing the blood from her hands. Nothing else really happens at that point. We cut over to Magna. She is wait, sitting. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. oh. So. Maybe uh, something else does happen at that point. Well, no, nothing happens. I'm just worried about the timeline here. So uh, Carol's killing the horse. They cook the horse. They feed the horse to the community. And then Carol washes her hands. I don't know. Is she? Uh, is she? Did, did we jump back in time here? Maybe a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Well, the next scene I was going to say Magna is eating some horse meat, so we're back ahead again to after the horse is cooked. I don't. Maybe maybe uh, Carol was involved in the cooking, and she's cleaning up after cooking. She's butchering the horse, and as soon as she butchered a piece of the horse, uh, they started cooking it. And then other people were eating the horse as it was still being butchered. And now she's finished butchering the horse <laughs> and is cleaning up after. You know, good point. I hadn't thought of that. but So maybe we're jumping around a little bit here. Uh, maybe a little bit. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I think, we can, I think we can let it slide. Magna, eating some horse meat. Kelly comes to her side and, you know, sits down and hugs her, basically. Uh, so they're, you know, just hanging out. Carol approaches. And then Kelly leaves with her. So I wasn't sure where they were going um, or, you know, if this is something to do with that conversation earlier. I'm just not sure. I don't know. It was kind of a nice scene, but how it all ties together, I'm not clear on yet. Who knows? Who knows? Back with Negan, Maggie, and Alden. They're traveling along a road and they decide to take cover in what appears to be a partially built church to take a break and some rest. 
I originally thought this is a somewhat destroyed church, but when they're inside, there's like the, all the studs in the walls are exposed. There's no drywall on the walls. It seems like it was being repaired maybe, or hadn't finished building it yet from, but from the outside, it looked really run down and half destroyed. So I wasn't quite sure, but anyways, they go in there. Well, and, and we've got pews. We've got pews on the inside scattered about. Uh-huh. So if it was under renovation, they'd at least gather up all the pews into the center and cover them in a tarp. Yeah. Uh, you know, in today's world, if they were doing that, if it was a new church, it wouldn't have pews. If it was a broken down, rundown church, it would have pews, but it would also have drywall. Mm-hmm. So somebody came in and stole all the drywall. I don't know. I it honestly to me, it felt like a half built set. And it probably was, let's be honest. Um, but I just, I, th- I think it was a weird decision. And I wish the show would think this through a little bit more. Is it broken down and therefore, you know, falling apart? Or is it half built? And it, it's not both. So I, I don't know. It, well, I, I know it's a nitpick, but you know what we're known for. And <laughs> I can, couldn't help but call this one out because it bugged me. If it was a country church where they wouldn't finish the inside, then uh, it might look like this, but not in Washington. Is not in Washington D.C. or in that area because there's winters, right? So yeah. any building that you build would probably need insulation, and if you're going to put insulation in something, you're going to slap up some drywall. Sure, that's the other thing though too. They're supposed to be in the city, and now all of a sudden they're like out in the bushes again, right? Like how far did they run away from these reapers? I mean, I guess oh, they were on pretty under- goddamn far. I guess. Yeah. They, I mean, they I guess they were taking the subway, and now they're in a country church. This was what I mean. I mean, they they walked after the subway, right? And then they were going to this supply depot, and the bodies were hanging, and that seemed like it was on a a road surrounded by trees. So maybe they've traveled farther than we think. I don't know. It's a. I mean, you live in Toronto. Yeah. If you were on the subway, uh, and you got off the subway, and you went to a mall, and then you started walking away from the city, how long would it take you to get to somewhere that was a country road? Well, I think it would take a little while. It would take a little while. Some time, yeah. It wouldn't take me as long. because well, And I know where to go where there are country roads. You live in the country. Pretty close to, you know, what would normally be considered town. Sure. Right? But uh, where you live, downtown, where there's a subway... Uh, it would take a while. Right. So something doesn't add up quite here on the show for me, but you know, we'll let it slide. Uh, they're inside this church. They sit on some of these old pews that you mentioned, and they start to debate whether they can or should leave Alton behind because he's slowing them down. And to break it down, Negan wants to leave him behind. Maggie does not. Go figure. Alden says that it is the right decision, and he says that he walked away from Negan you know, and the saviors and joined Maggie because he trusts her to do the right thing, no matter how hard it is. So he's saying, you should leave me here. The mission is more important. Uh, the supplies, he says, if the mission fails, the entire plan for the future will die. You should leave me and go get those supplies. Negan says, you know what, Maggie, you got to make a decision. If you're the leader, you have to make this decision. And I liked this scene because she claims that Negan is reckless with people's lives and, but he doesn't get to decide who lives and who dies. And she claims that, Negan, this is all your fault because you destroyed what they had built. 
And I liked that because it's kind of a callback to what I was saying earlier, where like all this time has gone by and Negan has says, says people can change and I've changed, but Maggie doesn't see it that way because she was gone for all of it. So she's really still focused on the fact that he destroyed everything they built. Whereas he's like, man, that was six, seven years ago. Like you're still thinking about that. Yeah, that was that was like two destructions of these places ago. Exactly. So much has happened <laughs> since then. But the way the sort of scene wraps up is she says all this and Negan says, well, you still have to decide. He's like, it doesn't matter what's happening. This is your call. So don't, don't sit here and try to blame me or try to talk her way out of this. You got to decide whether we're leaving Alden in this church or not. Yep. Take that. And reluctantly, as you might imagine, Maggie decides that she is going to leave Alden and proceed without him for now. So she gives him some food. She takes Negan's ankle knife and gives it to him. I just feel like that's going to be important. He doesn't have that weapon on him anymore. They go and Alden kind of pushes a pew against the door to block, block it a little bit. Outside the church they're leaving Negan kills a zombie we get this awesome shot of his crowbar just dripping with goop and brains with Nagy in the background and then a wide shot of the two of them walking away in the distance a little bit together not saying a word and that's the episode end now it's the Maggie and Negan show it sure is so I gotta say this whole episode felt like uh, the entire purpose was a kill off all of Maggie's people because, you know, every, <laughs> every quarter of a way through the episode, one of her people died, it seemed like, uh, and then to get her and Negan alone together. Right. Yeah. It, it just, it, it felt so on the nose to me that this is what they were doing. It's like introduce Maggie's people. We don't know them. We don't care that much about them. It's a bunch of people we can kill off and say, sure, the show still kills people. See, look at all these people who died this episode, you know? <laughs> uh, Alden didn't die, though, because he's an important character and, and you know, we don't want an, an old favorite to die. And it leaves Negan and Maggie together, which, to be fair, I think could be really interesting. But I just felt it was a little bit of a clunky way to get there. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're going to take turns leaving each other to, to die. <laughs> they probably are as they as they continue <laughs> on their journey, and that uh, I think is going to be really unsatisfying. Uh, maybe I don't know. So no Daryl in this episode, none whatsoever. He we had uh, Daryl was in the fray at the beginning, but then uh, nothing. That's right. We don't know what his status is other than alive, because I don't believe the show will kill off Daryl. Uh, no, because we also know he's moving on to the next show. Oh, good point. So he is unkillable. He is indeed unkillable. Um, and Elijah and Frost are the other two uh, of Maggie's people that we are unclear on. So we know Elijah in that fray at the beginning was yanked back with a rope around his neck. We don't know if he's dead or alive. So we don't know what his status is. And Frost, uh, I don't actually recall seeing him at all, but he was probably there. Or is he even on the mission? I don't know. He's such a background ah, character, knows? but he, we don't yeah. know his status at this point either. Um, but the rest of Maggie's people that we've seen are now dead. And as you said, it's the Negan and Maggie show going forward. Yep. And uh, no 
princess and is, uh, any of those people. No, nothing in the Commonwealth. Commonwealth, which, that was it. I, you know, that I am appreciative of. I think we needed a little break from that to sort of forget about how weird and confusing it is. And hopefully when we do get back to them, it'll fall into place a little bit better. That's what I'm hoping. It'll be next week, right? We'll get a Commonwealth-heavy show next week. You know what? I ha- I they On AMC+, Plus. I don't know if you're watching it there, but at the end of these episodes, they show the preview for next week, and then they do like a little, you know, eight to ten minute inside the episode segment with Andrea... Andrea, Angela Kang. Um, I did not watch either of those at the end of this episode yet. So I don't know what's coming up next week, but yeah, I wouldn't be too surprised if it was more Commonwealth since this was all Maggie and Reaper stuff. Right. Well, and horse, horse mission. You know, can't forget about that. Yeah. Let's go get a bunch of horses and make them walk back so we can slaughter them. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, I guess in a way, the Reapers, it was called Hunted, right? So the Reapers were hunting Maggie and her people, and Carol and Magna and all them were hunting horses. It, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the title works. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what's coming up next time, but overall, I thought this episode was fine. It had some cool stuff. There was some fun sort of atmospheric stuff at the beginning and in the mall, uh, some creative you know, creative situations with, with a little bit of scariness and so on. And I don't know if it was just me, but it seemed like there were a lot of shots with a wider, almost fish angle like lens. The first there was, I noticed that. The first time I noticed it was when Father Gabe was sitting there and sort of the establishing shot of him sitting there was this wide shot. The edges of the shot uh, curve a little bit, which makes me think fish, fish eye. So, um... I appreciated that. I thought it was, it sort of stuck out a bit, but I also kind of liked it. So I I didn't mind it, but yeah, this episode to me really had a purpose. And that purpose was to kill off a bunch of characters that I guess the show just never had any intention of integrating and developing anymore and then get Maggie and Negan to a place where they're alone. And And make Father Gabe a badass. For sure. Yeah. Make Father Gabe a badass. Basically one scene with him. You know, two scenes if you count him pulling the ice pick out, uh, and he's suddenly a badass. Yeah, that's efficiency like right there. You know, <laughs> unlike the rest of it, which took forever to kill off these people and and get them together. Yeah, it didn't need a lot of lead time. It just kind of got you there and went. Uh, yeah, here's Father Gabe presenting Father Gabriel this season, yes. and away he goes as a badass. So I am curious to see what happens. On the Negan and Maggie show, it's it's a chance to show us what either of them will do now that nobody is watching, right? Nobody else is around, uh, which has been a thing so far. So I really do hope it ends up being awesome. But on the other hand, I must admit I'm starting to lose a bit of faith that this storyline is really going anywhere. Oh, man, they're going to make out, aren't they? Oh, God. Some people do believe that. Some people do believe <sighs> that they're actually going to you know, get together, if you know what I mean, in one way or another. Um, I think that would just be ridiculous. I can't, I can't think of a way that that would make sense. No, it shouldn't, it shouldn't make sense. But again, you know, reality doesn't have a writer's room. No, 
I wish it did sometimes. <laughs> I really do. And it's not just a matter of, uh, I wish that I had something witty to say uh, in any kind of situation. I want a writer to write both sides of the conversation that I'm in. Like, it's not just me. I just don't want funny things for me to say or interesting things for me to say. I want their end of the dialogue locked in as well. Okay. <laughs> That's what I want. I don't want, yeah, this whole free will bullshit is just, uh, it's not worth my time. Yeah, forget it, man. Forget it. Well, you know, I don't know. Well, oh, what? Background music? I think that'd be great too. Yeah, that was a family guy joke, wasn't it? He had, Peter Griffin had background music for a while for some reason. Oh. Uh, I don't know about that, but I guess you could always just put on, uh, you know, Spotify or something. You could have background music. <laughs> that's right. That That's not a hard thing to do. Having someone write a conversation that you're having in real time with someone else is difficult to do, but, you know, having background music, yeah, probably not the, I mean, the worst thing. I mean, everywhere, I walk around with background podcasts all the time, pretty much always playing in my ears as I'm walking around places. Usually I have a song in my head that just uh, kind of rattles around. Or that. Uh, Lately, it's been uh, We Got the Beat by the Go-Go's. Well, that's not bad. It is not bad. The only number one hit that was uh, performed and written by an all-female group. Very, very The cool. only one in the whole history of the universe. That's pretty impressive. It and is. It, and it's stuck in your head. <laughs> yeah, I hated it in the 80s. I fucking hated that song with the white-hot passion of an exploding sun. Well, look at you uh, now. N- but now I am in awe of it. And the Go-Go's that wrote it. Well, uh, some weeks ago, I mentioned on this podcast, the Bo Burnham Inside uh, special, and the songs in that are still stuck. Many of them are still stuck in my head, and I cannot get them away. I I don't know what I'm going to do, because sometimes I can't sleep at night, because I have a Bo Burnham song going through my head, and it's really ruining my life. Thanks, Bo. Yeah, I had uh, Barbie Girl in my head for a while. (laughs) God. Aqua. Yeah. Like. Like a week. It was, it was a rough week. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. All right. Well, that is the episode, everyone. Not my favorite, uh, but I also thought there was some stuff to like here. Anything else about this one before we get into the, the final part of the show here, Jason? No, sir. All right. Well, with that, it is time to thank some you know people who have joined our Patreon page and announce the recipient of this week's Patreon prize pack. So new patrons this week are Keith M, Sunny G, Vicky S, Jocelyn J, Sean T, and Thomas S. Thank you so much to all of you guys for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash the talking dead. This week's prize is Three items all packaged up together. The first is a Dixon Brothers moonshine glass. Nice. For for drinking moonshine, I guess. It's pretty f- So what does a moonshine glass look like exactly? Right. Is it shot glass or does it look like a little uh moonshine uh jug with like a little handle, like the little uh like the the little tiny uh maple syrup bottles that they have? Um it's yeah, it's I don't know. Like, I didn't mean to say it's a moonshine glass. It's a Daryl, it's a Dixon Brothers moonshine, uh, comma, glass. <laughs> so oh. it's, it's a drinking glass. It's one of those ones with the handle, um, a mason jar t- style thing with a I handle see, on yeah. it for drinking. Okay. And it has cool, cool, cool. Dixon Brothers moonshine on the side of it. Um, also a princess can cooler. So, you know, one of those foam things you stick a can in, insulates it, keeps it cool. Nice. And then a set of Dale's cocktail umbrellas. So you remember 
Dale in the RV. Oh, yeah. He had an umbrella up top. Well, there's a set of little cocktail umbrellas that look like that umbrella. So you can see the theme here. (laughs) Yeah. It is the the, uh, drinking prize pack. Nice. So, Mr. Miles, it is time to reach into the Talking Dead prize container of your choice and pull out this week's winner. So please, please go ahead and do so. All right. So this week, what I did was I took a, uh, a small bottle of hot sauce and I wrote a whole bunch of names onto a, uh, individual chips in this bag of chips. So I'm going to reach into the bag of chips and I'm going to pick out a name. All right. Very good. All right. So it's not a bag of hair. There's no hair in this bag of chips at all. Great. Cause otherwise you'd go nowhere near it so far, but, uh, it is uh, Tostitos rounds. So it's not like it's just tor- tortilla sh- chips, right? So they're not. So I'm gonna reach into the bag of chips here. I'm gonna pull out this chip, and uh, I can't really read it. Let me see here. Uh, the name on it is uh, Sarah C. All righty, Con- and he eats the chip. Perfect. <laughs> mm, spicy. Uh, congratulations, Sarah C. Uh, I will be in touch on. Patreon, which also sends you an email. So look out for that. You are this week's winner. Congratulations. And thanks to everyone who is part of our Patreon page right now. We very, very much appreciate it. Our winner each week, and we've done three now, so we've still got over 20 to go until season 11 is done. The winners are pulled from all active patrons. You can't win more than once, but, uh, you know, if you join at any point, you will be included from that point on. Uh, in these draws. So do that at patreon.com slash the talking dead. It uh, is really great. And you have a chance to get one of these little walking dead prize packs that we're sending out. So fun times. Yeah. These these chips are stale. How long have they been down here? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I don't know, but long enough. And uh, at least you found a purpose for them. (laughs) Yeah. Might not finish that bag. Okay. Um, anyways, that's it for the show this week, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and I highly recommend you do because I would love some feedback for our feedback show on Thursday night coming up later this week. You can do that by visiting our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording a message. It will get sent right in. You can also simply record a message on your phone using like the voice memo app and uh, then send us the audio file that's created. That's a really great way to ensure the quality is good, usually anyways. Um, And to do that uh, or to just email us, send your messages to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We cannot be found on Facebook anymore, as you probably heard off the top. But in theory, we can be found on Twitter at Talking Dead. So I'll keep an eyeball on that throughout the week in case anyone wants to tweet us. Uh, But I'm bad at Twitter. I was better at Facebook. I don't know what that says about me, but I'll try to get better at Twitter going forward. That's it, everyone. Um, So, you know, look for the feedback show on Thursday. If you have anything to say about this episode, thoughts, questions, comments, please send those in. Otherwise, until then... Uh, that's going to do it. So my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks so much for listening. Ciao.